I thought I was going to preach today until about a couple weeks ago, and um, and Dave uh, had shared some things on social media, and and I just knew um, that these uh, thoughts, these hard thoughts, um, were certainly Advent thoughts and beautiful things uh, felt and lived and expressed before God um, that uh, I wanted him to share with y'all. So he's going to um, to. Uh, be exploring Psalm 80, one of the lectionary texts for today, uh, and if you'd welcome Dave Crispell. Well, thank you to Chris for that intro. Um, there are a few pleasures in life, like wailing on some frat boys, uh, which we did a number of times. Yeah, let's... Yeah, and if I lose this thing, I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's possible that I wander, and I will try to like yell at you better. I'll just apologize in advance for that. Um, but thank you for that wonderful intro, and thank you to Oak Church. Uh, many of you have been on this journey with us for a long time. Many of you have like sweat and uh, poured your lives into the place that we call home now, and, um, and the church continues to support us. So, I, so my, my thanks um, for that, and my thanks for being able to be here and share um, as part of my process and um, grieving and understanding where and what I do. Um, so <laughs> thank you, and maybe I'm a little bit sorry for going on that journey with me this morning, but um, I- I'm very appreciative of this opportunity. Uh, and Ju- Julian, I'm not going to talk a lot about exactly what we do. Uh, Chris covered the basics. I did leave some little like flyers in the back that you can check out, or you can grab me. We're going to eat afterwards with you guys. And um, there's a few people, Nan and Chris and um, whatnot, that know what we do, Nate, um, and could fill you in if you're, if you're curious. Um, I'm always happy to talk about that. Well, this morning I'm going to share with you um, Psalm 80, and this is a, there's no slides because this is an adaptation that I, that I wrote uh, a couple weeks ago. Hear these words. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be free. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you allow this to go on? You have fed us with the bread of tears and given us tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our city and our leaders are ashamed of us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be free. For you planted us here in the Haytai neighborhood. You created this place where some come to be forgotten. You cleared the ground for us and let us take root. Why then have you broken us with fentanyl? terrorized us with guns. The police break in our doors as we weep, and the speculators wait for us to expire. Turn again, O God. Look and see, we are your children. Have regard for this neighborhood, for this community, this place that you set aside. 
for they have burned it with fire and cut down our trees and bulldozed our encampments. They chase us with flashing lights and no trespassing signs and label us criminal instead of sister, brother, neighbor. Give us life and we will call on your name, Lord. But you have not forgotten us. You continue to call us your children, daughter, son, beloved, and we will never turn back from you. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be free. This past month at Jubilee Home has been um, as exciting of a month as we've had. I mean that in positive terms. those who have been on this journey with us for a while know that uh, we rehab this house that's been abandoned for 30 years. It's a big house. It's, you know, 2,500 square foot, six bedrooms, unfinished basement. I mean, huge. Lots of work to refinish a house that large. Nate was involved in, like, everything that involved a big person. <laughs> Chris did some HVAC work. Let's see if Marcus is here. Marcus did a pantry for us. Uh, we've We've really, uh, we've been at it for a while, and, and Oak has been there with us. But this, this month, a few weeks ago, we finally passed our final inspection on its third attempt, and even then, when he was like, that's not worth me coming back, just fix that thing. <laughs> but we finally passed, and we have our certificate of occupancy, which means legally, people can inhabit the space now. Along with that, we launched a few exciting partnerships this month with organizations that will be, bring food into our neighborhood on a more regular basis. Uh, we, we, we stay in a, a spot in Durham where there's a pretty large unhoused population, um, and, and food is a daily need. So we're excited about those relationships sort of cementing. We also received a, a pretty large grant from Duke to help us finish this community garden that we started that will, again, produce uh, fresh edibles for those who just don't have access to fruit or vegetables. We had a good Giving Tuesday, which as somebody whose salary comes from this place, I was excited about. Um, And that's about as much as we can do in a month, right? I mean, like we have one employee, it's two of us now, but it was such a great month. So many successes, so many blessings, and and yet all of the good news that we received this month at Jubilee Home is, has just been buried under this weight of sorrow that our community around us has experienced. Just since Thanksgiving, we've gone through city contractors bulldozing the encampment for our neighbors. We've had eight people overdose. There's been four shootings and multiple police raids just in our little two-block neighborhood. These events have left two community members dead, five hospitalized, and all of us with PTSD of one form or another. It's in weeks like this, months like this, that uh, our projects can feel so inadequate They're just burdened down by these heavy realities that they just can't lift. A garden can't bring back Dwayne or JP. 
a couple thousand dollars can't solve the systemic issues that weigh down on that place. And six supportive beds can't change a city that literally needs hundreds. Restore us, O oh God. Let your face shine that one day we may be free. In a month like this, uh, I frankly don't know how to respond. And so I've turned to lament. Lament in the Bible sort of steps into those spaces when our thoughts and prayers are inadequate. When the hurt is so big, we, just, we don't even know what to say anymore. And so lament gives us a chance just to cry out in the rawness of everything. Cry out in the anger when evil seems like it's so freaking triumphant around here. And we cry out in our frustrations at how, how we just don't have control over any of it. We crowd in our humiliation at our own smallness in the scope of these things. We crowd in desperation for the divine intervention we seek. How long will you let this go on, Lord? Where are you in these moments? How can you be a good God? in a world that feels so bad. Are these tears the food you wish us to eat? We cried in our pain and from our pain and with our pain and, and we utter what so often feels unutterable. Where are you, God? Why have you forsaken us? This is not something I do naturally. I never grew up with this practice of lament. I never learned how. I think taking a basic demographic scan of the congregation here, I'm guessing many of us grew up in traditions, the white church, that doesn't do a great job of touching into the rawness and the emotions of lament, of mourning, even in our funerals, often we, we're in atmospheres where it seems like pain is shameful or viewed as weakness or unbecoming. And so I never learned this, this practice, this skill, this uh, way of getting in touch with these places. We come and each week we hear about this, this guy who touched lepers on the face and ate with the scorned and stopped to have a minute with the blind beggar. And, uh, and yet, I think, I can't speak for Oak Church, I, but I think many of us were at least raised in churches that uh, never took a breath to stop and sit in those moments and understand why it is Jesus needs to sit in those moments when we don't. On top of never learning how to lament, frankly, I've lived a pretty privileged life that's never put me in touch with a lot of trauma. 
No tragedy has come to the door of our family. Thank God. And I've always been able to flee places like Umstead and Dawkins. I've always been able to stay on the other side of the tracks. I've had access to the medical and mental support systems that keep me out of places like Umstead and Dawkins. I've been able to move out of neighborhoods like that or send my kids to safer places in the county to go to school. So not only have I never learned how to lament, but quite frankly, I've never really even needed to lament. I've lived in such a sterilized existence that I'm allowed to forget the immediate and present need to lament some of our current situations. Because I don't live in a border town, because I don't live in East Durham, because, 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 I've always been able to make it through 36 years of not really lamenting. But the other day I was standing on a ladder innocuously putting some cock on the soffit at Jubilee Home. Uh, when, I was, when I was shook out of that lament, when some of this was brought home, and then I was brought face to face with the realities of our city and our neighborhood and the realities of my neighbors that just uh, couldn't be turned away from, quite literally. I was squeezing out the cock and all of a sudden, bam! The first gunshot went off behind me. But it was so close that my brain immediately did that thing. You know that moment in your life, maybe you were in a car wreck, maybe, maybe something occurred that was uh, immediately clear to you how much more brain power you have than you normally operate with. You know, when your brain starts operating at such a high level, you can process the entire scene in about a split second. My brain kicked into that really quickly. I was able to yell at my dad to get in the house while also looking down and analyzing very clearly, I am two stories up on a ladder and above some brick stairs. We are not jumping off this ladder right now. I turned to watch the finger on the trigger of the 9mm handgun with a high-capacity magazine, pull the next shot, bam. And after a short pause, pull the next four, bam, 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 bam. About the third or fourth shot in, my brain did the calculus. This car's headed east. I am 50 feet away from this car, to the east. I am two stories up on a ladder. This car does not want witnesses. I'm in a bad spot right here. Restore us, O oh God. Let your face shine that we may be free. As the red Lexus sped out of the neighborhood, sort of melted off the ladder, fell, jumped, whatever, trying to get the license plate. When I realized my adrenaline was at a significant level because I couldn't slide the phone. 
to dial 911. I dial 911 pretty frequently out there. That's, that act in itself is no longer foreign to me, but never have my fingers not been able to find the numbers before. After doing a check on my neighbors, giving statements to the various investigators that came through, I packed up and called it a day. That morning, we had already had two neighbors fatally OD, and frankly, I was done. I couldn't take any more, and so I left. But as I backed out of our driveway, I saw a couple of the people in our neighborhood picking up folding chairs that were laying in the road and kind of brushing them off and setting them up again so that they could sit back by the fire and stay warm. And I realized in that moment uh, how privileged my state of despair was. I could leave. I could go home. I could never come back if I chose. But many of the unhoused residents in our neighborhood didn't have that choice. They couldn't leave when the heavy equipment came the week before and bulldozed their encampment. They couldn't leave when the bullets came that afternoon. And they couldn't leave the next day when the police kicked in the doors of most of the rooming houses they stay in occasionally. This, this moment that marked one of the like worst or at least scariest moments in my life was much more a present reality for my neighbors. One they lived day in and day out. Turn again, O oh God. Look and see your children. The day after what was the most exciting day I've ever had out there, some, some pastor friends who had heard through the grapevine and were pretty close to the neighborhood, they came out and provided some street chaplaincy for the neighborhood, and even though they didn't say it, um, I think for me as well. And there was food and sorrow and stories and hugs and prayers and stillness. And even as we held vigil for our community and our neighbors and the lives lost, the vans drove in. And all of a sudden, all the roads were blocked in and out, and body armor and shouting and assault rifles and flashing lights were everywhere. It was like an apocalyptic movie, to be honest. But still, but still, these compounded traumas laid on top of one another. There was a group of people holding one another, praying and caring for each other. There was life in a place where there's usually only death. And we all held each other and mourned as the police kicked in the door where Dwayne died less than 24 hours ago. 
whose residents now had guns in their faces and we're still mourning we're still in shock It took me a week before I could write any of this. I knew how many people in our community have been along this journey with Jubilee Home, and this was some of their story, some of your story, and I wanted to share it, but I just, I was wordless. Even after a week, it took me another week to find coherent words. And it was this reworking of Psalm 80 that I finally found where I finally found someone else in that moment, using their words that could become my own. And in that lament, as it progresses on, the sense of defiance, the undertow of hope, begins to work its way through. That's because lament, uh, this thing that I really have very little experience with, is fundamentally about hope. Despair is not crying out to God. Despair is not anguish. Despair is silence, apathy. But to lament is to declare that I know there is better than this. To lament is to remember God's goodness and demand that that goodness become incarnate. To lament is to know that that current is not forever. Even if we're not ready to move on or get over it, or even if we're not ready to turn to hope yet, to lament is still to say, one day, one day, all of this pain and, and ugliness will somehow be transformed into unspeakable beauty. One day, the least will be first. One day, the hungry will be fed. One day, the addicted will be liberated. One day, the alienated will know community. One day. One day, we'll all be free. One day the God of all creation will take on flesh and join us in our pain and frailty and mortality. One day he'll come again and dwell with us and dry every tear. And death will be no more. There will be no more mourning and no more crying. And it's that hope that runs through the lament. It's that hope that allows me to say, even if I'm not necessarily ready, one day, one day I'll be able to declare again that last verse. But you have not forgotten us, Lord. You continue to call us your children, daughters, sons, beloveds, you will never turn back from you, from us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be free. Amen.
Let me pray for us. Gracious God, how good it is to be amongst your people in your presence as we anticipate your light shining through the darkness. For four weeks, it's slowly gotten brighter and we've edged up to the very edge of our seats. Some of the smaller ones of us have jumped off and are running circles around the congregation right now, but even the rest of us are waiting, breath baited, excited to declare your presence, your incarnation, your transformation of this place. But today we wait, Lord. We wait and call out, come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.